Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do you like professional wrestling? Well, we like professional wrestling too. This is Shake Them Ropes. I am Jeff Hawkins, firmly entrenched in the internet bubble. He is Chris Novembrino, firmly not entrenched in the internet bubble. Personal note, rest in peace to comedic genius Richard Lewis, who passed away um, yesterday. Uh, I met Richard Lewis once here in LA uh, at a gig because he was still tight with David Brenner, who I opened for and i was possibly going to write for him on this big comeback that never really materialized because david brenner time had passed him by as had his sense of humor and it was terrible it's, it's like writing for mort saul in the 90s it's just it just wasn't going to work out um but in the 80s when i was studying stand-up you know and all that, that dude richard lewis was just awesome to me uh neurotic Great. If you've ever seen any of his uh, laters with Bob Costas, uh, they're some of the best that they did in the uh, in the mid '90s when Costas had a talk show late at night. Before, who was it that ruined that? Greg Kinnear ruined that show so bad. Um, was on Cur- you know, modern people would know him from Curb Your Enthusiasm these days. Um, just a prince of a man in every every sense of the word. Uh, are you familiar with the stand-up of Richard Lewis? I am. Uh, I mean, he used to be on Comedy Central a lot, especially back in the 90s. He used to have the piano, and he'd always use it as a cheat to spread his notes out so he could <laughs> read his jokes type of a thing. Uh, but, yeah. No, I mean, he, he, he was a very, you know, like, he's like kind of like the quintessential steady hand in comedy. And the thing to me that was always funny was he was neurotic, but all his comedy was about having sex. You know, <laughs> it's always like, yeah, I was sleeping with this woman. He'd always talk with his hands and stuff like that. He'd always be like, and I'm really nervous about being naked because, you know, all this other thing. I'm like, dude, you are getting laid more than most comedians. <laughs> what are you talking about? He always uh, had a good look, you know? Yeah. He, he, yeah, he had the a put mullet. together look. Yeah, yeah, that mullet. Uh, yeah, and he had a, I mean, the, uh, the sitcom he did in the 80s called Anything But Love with Jamie Lee Curtis was sneaky good for a couple seasons and then just kind of fell off. But, uh, also good in Men in Tights, uh, the Mel Brooks movie, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, so that's just your little comedy thing before we go into the wrestling passings this week, of which there were two major ones, for at least for my fandom, and at least one for Chris's, I think. Uh, starting with Ole Anderson, former Alan Rogowski, original member of the Four Horsemen, passed away at uh, the age of 81. 
trained by Vern Gagne, um, part of that kind of trifecta of Gene Lars and Ole Anderson, of which Gene Anderson was the only actual Anderson. Everybody else were kayfabe brothers. Um, most famous for, um, you know, the tag team with Gene in both the North Carolina slash Crockett and Georgia territories, where he also booked both territories simultaneously in the early 80s. Uh, making especially making North Carolina just the the tag team wrestling territory for America, which traveled into the late 80s into the 90s eventually. Um, also infamous for being the one holdout on Black Saturday when uh, when the Briscoes, uh, the, that being Jack and Jerry, not uh, not Mark and uh, Jay, but uh, the old Briscoes, the original Briscoes, and 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 uh, Gary Barnett, Gary Barnett, yes, uh, sold. Their shares of championship wrestling from Georgia, um, or no, not championship wrestling, Georgia championship wrestling, GCW, to Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon showed up on TBS. Uh, <laughs> some interesting stories there, especially uh, Vince meeting with with Oli and Oli basically telling Vince, F you and F your wife uh, when he brought Linda to meet him. Uh, much like the old school guys, um, you know, to me, Oli Anderson quintessential wrestler from that you know big burly looked like your dad even if he was only like 29 um always looked like he was about 45 uh tough looked like you didn't want to meet him in a bar kind of thing um i've watched some shoots of him i've, I've read a little bit of his book and and much like a lot of promoters that that go by the wayside there's a lot of bitterness there um, and, and a lot of good ideas, but a lot of, you can see the blind spots in his thinking in a lot of things. Like he, he is a big size guy. He is a big toughness guy. Cause he comes from that Vern Gagne school of, you know, everybody should look like Dick, the bruiser type of a thing. Um, he is a big believer that heels shouldn't leave their feet or bump that much for baby faces, which kind of started to really go the wrong way when he got into the mid eighties and the rock and roll express, there was a bit of a styles clash there at first until, you know, until they kind of came to a bit of an agreement there. He was a guy that thought, uh, you know, he'll say publicly, you know, if you had to travel from territory to territory, you were worthless because you should stay in one territory. And, and just if you make a lot of money, stay there and continue things. But he was also a guy that, you know, he did Florida and the AWA a couple times and Georgia and North Carolina. So, I mean, he kind of bounced back and forth, at least on the Eastern seaboard. And he also did Japan, I think once too. I, I remember there's a, there's a matchup between him and Tenru for like 90. I think that that's kind of amazing. Um, his philosophy on tag team wrestling was, you know, work, a, work a leg or work an arm, work a, work a body part over and, and get a submission if you can, or get the pin, et cetera, et cetera. That, culminated in, in, in the Crockett era during those times. But I mean, he was also a guy that didn't see any money in both Ricky Steamboat nor Hulk Hogan at the time, which is amazing to think, especially Ricky Steamboat, who in 1982 had one of the biggest tag team feuds in Crockett. This is after Ole uh, stopped booking the Crockett territory with, with, uh, with Jay Youngblood versus uh, Don Carnotal and Sergeant Slaughter. Which and and of course he he sent uh, Hogan away from when he was Sterling Golden from Georgia, basically gave him to I think Vern and then later he went from Vern to to Vince as Hulk Hogan just didn't see any money in him. 
he was against things like national expansion. He thought he th thought you know once companies went national, it was bad because you could have like a hundred companies in smaller areas and make a lot of money versus just one big one where you're never working the road. That that was obviously wrong. And he was also one of the guys to scoff at Vince when Vince told him about the about the uh, um uh, about pay per view and what that would be and having you know a million homes paying you know. 40 bucks for for a pay-per-view he infamously railed against that if you've ever watched his shoots he didn't think anybody but him or people like him could work you know he liked arn kind of liked rick flair for a while but then he said oh he just patterns his mouth. he's one of those guys who when he's in charge he wants people like him and it's one of those things where you know you, you kind of you kind of see why i mean but he was pure you know, came from the time when it was kayfabe and it was all about money and you didn't want to do too much type of a thing, which also eventually went by the wayside. Um, his promos were fantastic. And his some of his angles, if you've never seen The Great Turn of 1980, I know Dave on, on Wrestling Observer Radio kind of poo-pooed it a little bit because it was the second feud with Dusty, but... The Great Turn of 1980 is one of the best angles ever done, I think, in in my opinion. Uh, his, his interviews with the Horsemen. Uh, if you don't know The Great Turn of 1980, that's when uh, he had turned babyface, um, and and Dusty Rhodes eventually came to him to help him battle uh, the Assassins and Ivan Koloff. And there were two special referees in the match. There was, uh, I believe it was Gene, not Lars Anderson, and Ivan Koloff were special referees. Uh, the assassins picked Ivan Koloff and of course only picked his brother and they're in a cage and eventually everybody just turns and beats up dusty and, and the promo afterwards where he's explaining it, where it's like, he asked me, I can't believe that only had a certain fire to his promos and a certain realness to his promos. When he told you in Crockett, when he was part of the horsemen that 1986 at some time, dusty Rhodes is going to announce his retirement. You kind of believed it. You know his 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 promos against Piper in Georgia are 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 fantastic. He always had a weird, angry fire that was believable, and I love I I love him as a promo. His wrestling I had to get used to, and eventually I did. Once you learn that older style that he had brought into the '80s as a child of the '80s, you kind of like watching Rock and Roll Express and all these guys flying around the place and things like that. And it's like, yeah, you know. I, I think his hatred of Dusty Rhodes in real life in terms of I don't want to like run into his elbow because that looks stupid was more of a pride thing. I think he was very bitter. He didn't make a lot of money as, as a horseman because I think he was promised a lot more merchandising and things like that that never really came to fruition. Comes off as bitter a lot of times, but as a as a performer more than a booker, I, I absolutely came to adore Ole Anderson once I started doing more of a deep dive into his early 80s slash late 70s stuff. The stuff with the Horsemen is great, but um, yeah, he never did any of the reunions with the Horsemen. He hated Vince McMahon until his dying breath, which is kind of awesome in some ways to be that embittered. Uh, but he also just didn't like anybody else either, it would appear. Uh, even people he worked with for a while. Uh Chris, I think only might have been after your time, but do you have, I mean, any recollections of Ole Anderson, maybe even like the early 90s when he came back with the horseman to face JTEX? So 
recently I went on YouTube and I was actually watching Ole Anderson shoot videos where he was talking <laughs> specifically about Ric Flair. And yeah. it's I all of his points about Ric Flair, they are contrarian takes. But when you start stringing them together, like he has a worldview, it makes sense. You it makes see- sense to him, but at the same time, Flair, yeah, Flair has a pattern match that he does, but it's a great pattern, you know. <laughs> I, I, it's reductive, but like I, I also get what you know. Like it's not a, it's not a horrible argument. Um, no, and then like I also do just you gotta especially as time goes on, give mad respect to anyone who said F you for the rest of your life to Vince McMahon. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, Right. Like, like that's, that's an all time great take. Like that's, a, that's a pretty strong and awesome take on Ole Anderson's part. Yeah. I, I <laughs> yeah, but he burned those bridges. Like he got fired from Crockett uh, or actually WCW. Uh, he was trying to get his kid into the business. And uh, Eric Bischoff comes in and uh, fires his son, who's a trainee at the power plant. And so he's trying to trying to uh, get his son a job somewhere. So he brings in Jim Cornette to a meeting at the power plant. Now, this is post-Watts. And Bischoff catches wind of this, and he and Cornette didn't get along. So he fires Ole right on the spot, too, for bringing Cornette onto WCW territory. So, of course, Ole hates, Cor- or hates Bischoff with every ounce of his being as well yeah i i uh i i remember watching Oli heel videos as a kid and then you watch Oli as a baby face and they're the same promo but they're still awesome as a baby face too that's 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 having a great character and sticking with it i agree yeah uh matches to watch uh for me i would i would say the andersons versus the rock and roll express at I think it was Starcade 85. Don't quote me on that one though. Um, yeah, Oli Oli's great and every I mean, watch his Georgia stuff. Watch his team with Stan Hansen in Georgia, because because those guys just absolutely killed it down there. Um you know, watch, watch the great turn of 80. Um if you can find any 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 footage of him and uh, Gene versus uh Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniel. Oli and Wahoo McDaniel is, is always just two grizzled big dudes who just beat the crap out of each other. That is a hoss fight. That, that Those are always fun. Any any interaction between Wahoo, who was just semi-alcoholic and just didn't give a crap, but was tough as nails, and Oli, who was also semi-alcoholic and tough as nails, just just wa- watch those two just beat the crap out of each other for, for 10 minutes, and you'll be happy. But yeah. Uh, also passing away this week, uh, Mike Jones, a.k.a. Virgil, um, a.k.a. Soul Train Jones, but best known as the valet for the Million Dollar Man and his run in the WWF. Uh, originally, uh, part trivia, I was told, or at least it was on Wikipedia, that he was a graduate of the University of Virginia, and there is a Mike Jones with a degree in math who matches his age. It says on his Wikipedia, Virginia Union. I'm not so sure. I still think he went to UVA, but... Um, but but there's also questions about the man's age too, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Some said six, born in '62. Some said '51. I was like, uh, I don't think there's that big of a difference. I would go with the '62. I think that's a good number. But yeah, um, 
more or less a running joke the last 20 years of a guy, you know, trying to pull the old, uh, I, I hesitate, hesitate to say carny because I got a, I got a comment from someone that we didn't post about being insulted by the term carny. Um, but yeah, no, he was always trying to, uh, work for money. Let's put it that way. Uh, he'd show up to fan fest when he wasn't booked and set up a table with merch. Uh, if you ever talked to him, the first thing he'd, he'd do is hit you up for money. And if you asked a question, he'd then hit you up for money again. And they'd upsell you. He's that kind of a guy. Um, never much of a wrestler to me. Uh, great athleticism. No. Oh, I don't say that. How could you say that? I mean, he had so many matches. I mean, the moment, the moment that split happened, he had the one feud with DiBiase and then it, it just fell apart. Cause he's, and, and wasn't in. that a dazzler match? I mean, <laughs> that was a great match. I actually have rewatched that match within the last year and it stunk. DiBiase, who uh, of all people might be able to carry him to a decent match, was unable to carry him to a decent or interesting match. Uh, I liked his presence, though, as Virgil. I didn't see a lot of Soul Train Jones. Um, as even in as a heel recent. Virgil, you're, you're saying yes. as heel Virgil for DiBiase. Yes, as a valet who took bumps. Yes, he yes. was fine as that. Yes, he had a nice scowl. Um, <laughs> he also was completely unsympathetic. Yes. Um, until it got a little racial, and then it, that's how they turned well, him. Pretty much. That's how that's how they turned him. But yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, when when it wasn't that, and DiBiase was just a scoundrel, and he of course he would leave Virgil. You never felt bad for Virgil because Virgil always was getting his. May he be having lots of meat sauce in the Olive Garden in the sky. Uh, I don't, I don't have a lot more to say about him. Um, you know, he, uh, he's, he, you know, you know. I'll say one other thing. Uh, he is a good example of one of these older celebrities getting somebody to manage their social media account for them. Yes. Uh, yeah, because like he was like Iron Sheik. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. doing that. But like, yeah, like Sheik, like he he figured that out, and that was smart. That was savvy. Was he your favorite part of the West Texas Rednecks? <laughs> no, Mr. Perfect was in the West yeah. Texas Rednecks. Of course he was. That's that's a correct answer. Although Barry, we'd also accept Barry Windham, too. <laughs> in a developing situation that could have quite a negative ripple effect on upcoming events, PWInsider.com learned that United States work visas for nearly 20 CMLL stars in Mexico are in the process of being canceled by the United States government. Once that happens, it could take months for new visas to go through the approval process and be issued. PWInsider.com is told that 19 luchadors, including Volador Jr., Hechicero, and Mascara Dorada, who have all appeared on AEW programming as late, as well as Blue Panther and others, are expected to be impacted and unable to perform in the United States. Well, Jeff, why are you reading that story? Well, because the AEW connection, it was rumored that Forbidden Door this year was going to be with CMLL. So that could be a bit of a problem. Chris, any thoughts? Uh, it could be a bit of a problem, but they also could just book a narratively satisfying show too and not have to do the thing that they have to do whenever they do the Luchador Heavy shows, which is just, you know, it's what's... L Aquarius doing in the impact zone. 
Uh, Cubs fan 75, uh, who knows a lot about this, says that this is because this is more attributed to um, incompetence in the office and somebody forgetting to file paperwork and stuff. Which, which rather than you know somebody behind the scenes like a Nick Connery Conan, you know getting people. <laughs> somebody said, "What if Conan was behind this?" I go, "Do you think Conan has a lot of contacts at at, at immigration? Is that what you think?" Um, but it's one of those things where it, it was a guy on his way out already, and then he didn't like do the prerequisite stuff. But it seems like a big deal, especially given that. You know, given the rules and the customs of Mexican wrestling, especially with AAA and CML both simultaneously working with AEW at the same time, although not allowed to appear on shows where the other's talent is, if you're building towards Forbidden Door, it would seem like you'd try and get those ducks in a row before even going (laughs) to AEW. Maybe it's just me. I don't know, man. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh... Media call today for AEW Revolution, which happens on Sunday. We will preview in a moment. But uh, interesting comment from Tony Khan saying that expanding to about nine or ten pay per views a year is his sweet spot. I disagree. I think it's far too much, and I think it's far. Six is a good number. Four was a good number, too, if you could build to it. But the problem is, I mean, to me, if these are 10 pay-per-views, $60 a pop, I get that there's a lot of the AEW audience that doesn't pay for these things and still enjoys them. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's too much. I do. I think 10 pay-per-views at full freight. Um, And also, it's just, I don't know. I don't have faith in Tony... Tony doesn't do build well. I'm sorry. He does this this time around. Revolution was the best he's done since the beginning of the company in terms of top to down card. And I understand that there's a lot of fans who don't give a crap about build. I get that. Um, But it's also only one seventh of your audience that's actually paying for pay-per-views. And while that's very, very good, don't get me wrong. I don't think you want to drive them away by, you know, upping their, pay-per-view budget what was it six pay-per-views this past year for 60 360 to 900 bucks well maybe no i'm wrong on the math there 10 times six, 600 bucks my fault uh i just don't know chris i i, I really don't know I, I mean it sounds like a good idea because it's what wcw and wwf and it's what it's what major companies do they have pay-per-views every month type of a thing i i, I just think they have a lot of product out there right now that's kind of gone by the wayside as well and it's one of those things where having a pay-per-view doesn't necessarily equate quality although the matches look the matches will still be good because the athletes are still there i'm kind of rambling here i'm sorry no the matches will still be there uh i i don't worry about that uh i think Forty dollars a month is a lot to demand from an audience and there's our 60 i think 60s worse and <laughs> that i think does run the risk of making the show even more sort of like have more of a spiraling inward trajectory in terms of ratings and viewership rather than a growing outward 
uh, trajectory. Just because if there's this monthly cost barrier to watching this show, why am I watching this show? Also, man, $60 worth of value is just, that is, I, I think it's too much for any show economically to be asking. Well, uh, I, I do too, but the people who are going to be going for this probably aren't paying 60 bucks a month. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing there's a lot of people in your internet wrestling community that are torrenting or uh, stealing the pay-per-view. No, I, I'm not a dope about that. I understand how those websites work. Some of them are pretty neat, I would say. Yes. But that's sort of also evidence to the point that the economics aren't right here either. So I, I, I just, I don't see... This is a business model that feels very nostalgic for 1997, 1998. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm there with you. It's like if if and if all these people are stealing it, to go back to that time, right? Like to go back to the good old days when CDs cost twenty dollars in 1998 money, uh, and people were regularly stealing from Best Buy and Circuit City and all of these CD vending stores at a higher clip because those CDs, when you adjust it for inflation, like, <laughs> and then Napster shows up too, right? And, and immediately people stop buying CDs because the price point's too high. Right. Uh, uh, but Vis-a-vis -vis the quality, there, there'd be one single on the CD and then the rest would be filler stuff and people would go, why am I paying this much just for the CD? But to time travel back to that day, you know, especially when, you know, you get your allowance or whatever, if I had 10 bucks, I might buy a CD that was $10 or like seven or eight bucks. It's just, I wasn't going to pay 20 bucks for a CD. Um, and that's, I, I feel like AEW sort of doing that. I mean, even back in the day when we watched wrestling pay-per-views, we'd all go to a friend's house and everyone would chip, chip in. Chip in and, and get all, pizza. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah. Um, I think the thing that really turned me off for monthly pay-per-views it was especially during the Monday Night Wars where it felt like they were booking the pay-per-view to then resolve on the free television. And it just felt like it wasn't worth watching the pay-per-views when I was going to get the resolution of the angle on Monday Night Raw or Monday Nitro the next night. And what, what AEW fans will tell you is, well, you're watching it for the shared experience of the quote-unquote great slash five-star slash whatever great inflation Dave decides to do that month match. And at least for me personally, that's not worth it. I'm sure it's worth it for some people. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. I don't want to dismiss people's fandom and what gets them off on wrestling. It's just one of those things that for me, it's a bit much if it's like, okay, I'm going to have another Brian Danielson match here and on collision and oh this month he's gonna you know it, it, they're not events anymore if you're having this much wrestling on free television and then just kind of doing a pay-per-view type of a thing like what what if i have six blackpool combat club matches in three weeks and then they're fighting again on the pay-per-view i don't find that special no i i think that that's reasonable um i i, I also just I'm having a hard time getting into 
I was thinking about Danielson and how he used to be a much hotter sort of commodity going into these shows. I think we'll get into that. I think I think they may actually solve that problem, but I have my doubts um, okay. uh, on this pay-per-view. We'll see. <laughs> the theme of the pay-per-view for me is that Tony has to look at a couple guys and go, I'm going to tell you to do the opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> and hopefully talent will relent, but we will see. Uh, ending the news, as seen on Tuesday, Sean Spears, not Ty Dillinger, is the man behind the promos of three faces, et cetera, et cetera. I was sure that that was going to be uh, a, a revamp of the Asian contingency with the the dragon lady and uh, and and her friends with the makeup and stuff like that. But nope, it was Sean Spears back with the chairman gimmick of all things in NXT. Kind of hope Tully Blanchard shows up, but not on his trunks. But we'll see. Uh, any thoughts? I think this is a, a lot of people going, this is a Cody call. I don't know about that. I know Sean Spears is big into training. He and uh, Tyler Breeze have a school in Florida, and he was kind of a uh, player coach in NXT before he left for AEW. Yeah, my sort of thought is that he's like a player coach. Yeah. You're in NXT. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he loses this debut match to Rich Holland. Like, I, I don't, I don't see him as a major player or as, as like a, a, any sort of serious title contender. I just see him as like part of the mid card and part of the training core of NXT. And I think for that purpose, he's good. Uh, I think they always have the option by debuting him as Sean Spears. They always have the option to bring back the perfect ten, which is. <laughs> No, you, you laugh, but they were chanting ten during the during dude, this chair thing. People love that perfect ten gimmick. They really did. They loved see, but I thought it I thought it expired when they finally did the payoff on the Royal Rumble. When he was a number ten in the Royal Rumble. That's it. That's the that's the pinnacle of your career right there. That that's all you can do with that gimmick. Really. I thought well, yeah, I mean yeah, I, like you know, I, I guess theoretically, you know, he could you know win a championship, and, and this is a fruition of him viewing himself as a perfect ten, even when other people didn't. That sort of thing. It's like a power. <laughs> it's an empowerment story, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so you want him to be Carmelo clean? Got it. Uh <laughs> I want to feel good about something. Well, we'll feel good that the news segment is over. We'll go into the lazy river of wrestling criticism. Whatever we watched, whatever we saw, either current or former, and including previews and reviews of, of pay-per-views or premium live events, depending on how you do it. That's where we do it here. I suspect we'll have a lot to talk about Sting in this, but uh, starting with, as usual, ice-cold takes on events that happened previously. Elimination Chamber, Perth. Last Saturday, perfectly cromulent show, but absolutely no surprises. Uh, thought the men's uh, men's chamber was, was the best match of the show. Really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the tag team match with Tyler and uh, and Pete Dunn. Although <laughs> it's kind of comical to watch those two against uh, Damian Priest. Women's match, slow start, but uh, or the women's chamber, slow start. Uh, Tiffany Stratton, I think, is going to be headlining WrestleMania next year. Uh, crowd loves her. They love the gimmick. Uh, she is she is tough. That's the thing that we don't give her enough credit for at times. Is she, 
she's gorgeous, but she is a tough, tough she, woman. She's always shown that. Like the, the NXT matches, what she didn't show necessarily in terms of in-ring chops, she did show in those hardcore matches that she has a level of toughness that sort of is uh, not necessarily belied by her look. Oh, and also the stand and deliver in LA where she gets on the ladder to do the uh, senton off of it to the floor and they don't catch her at all. Yeah. And she just hits the floor with a thud. Uh, you know, she did, she, you know, look, she, she, her first elimination chamber, she's going up to the pond. She's diving off people uh, onto people. I mean, there, there's a certain level of, uh, a certain level of confidence there that you got to admire. And then I actually thought Becky versus Nia or uh, Rhea versus Nia um, was better than it, than it probably should have been. I, I mean, look, Nia Jax is never going to set the world on fire. I thought she was actually pretty good. This seems to be very split. There are some people who really dug that match with Nia as the monster and Rhea working from underneath. And there are others who thought that Nia was her usual sloppy self. This, I knew this going in, and it, it it was. I tried to like basically look past my bias. This this had the problem of being a very very predictable show that I knew was going to be well worked. But it, yes, it's, it's sometimes part of the joy of watching wrestling, especially if you're going to watch it live or even somewhat live. Like you know, you know, when I don't watch it live. I'm watching it shortly thereafter, not having seen any spoilers or anything. Part of it, the joy is not knowing what's going to happen next. Can, and can you, by the way, can you hear this ridiculous leaf blower that's, that's outside my window right now? No. Okay, no. never mind then. Continue. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. just laughing because I'm trying to hear you. I just, <laughs> and the, uh, this show did not give me those moments of joy really at all. No. Uh, and, and that it made it a tough watch. Even if I was like, they're doing Rhea. This is, this is my fault. Rhea for not Naya was not bad. You it could have fast great. forwarded about 45 minutes for that whole Grayson Waller effect crap. Cause that was utterly useless for the most part. There was a lot of filler in this show. I thought they were going to put a couple more matches on here. They only put a match on the pre-show and that was Indy Hartwell and uh, Candice LeRae versus the uh, Kabuki Warriors to give Indy the hometown pop, which she got. She didn't take the fall, which is also nice of them to not do. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree. There, there are shows that are on paper where you expect things and they over deliver. And then there are shows like this, which are on paper. You look at the match on paper, you know exactly what's going to happen. And it just kind of does what you thought was going to happen. And then you have to kind of question your life as to, well, if I knew that was going to happen, should I have spent the time to watch any of these matches? Yes. Right. If, if everything on that show occurs as I think it's going to occur, what was the point of me watching that and i get that that's not necessarily a problem for everyone but it's a problem for me yeah I'm not gonna, yeah i'm not gonna lie i i i i find that very i find those types of shows to be less interesting <laughs> yeah much like oh if you follow me on on elon musk's x uh i had some opinions of dynamite last night in terms of logic 
And when I watch a television show, I want some logic in there. And everybody's telling me to shut up and just enjoy my wrestling. I can't watch television like that. I need, I, I, I can't, if I'm going to turn my brain off for dumb, illogical, I'm going to go watch a movie like John Wick or something. I'm not going to watch wrestling for it necessarily. Um, but we're going to go into our uh, preview for 2024 uh, Revolution. Sting's last match. Uh, I watched Beach Blast 92 last Saturday. Um, just in the night before I was relaxing and go to sleep. That's the one. It also has uh, has the Steamboat Rude Iron Man match. Okay. All right. Has, all right. has, has the Steiners versus Gordy and Williams, which is awesome. But it also has the uh, Falls Count Anywhere Sting versus Cactus Jack match. And let me tell you something. Sting was game to go with Cactus Jack, who this to me is actually peak in-ring Cactus Jack. But nobody in WCW had any faith in him or knew what to make of the guy because he was absolutely killing himself to get over here. This is when he'd do like the sunset sunset flip from the apron uh, yeah. to the floor type of thing. He did that with Orndorff at one point, but he also did it with Sting in this match. This match was awesome. And Sting was on on his stuff. I'll put it that way, because he was he was flying around all over the place too. That match was awesome. What is overall your favorite Sting match? And I will I will I will also parse this by saying without saying the nineteen ninety two war games, which is the most fantastic war games to ever exist. I mean, you know, for it's me, Vader, right? It's going to be a Vader match, it's right? It's going to be a Vader match, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm trying to remember which one it is. I think it's the second match they had for the title where Vader ultimately wins on like a power bomb, but it's almost like a desperation sort of thing. Like whenever he was squared up against Vader, they, they made him... He was never presented as like a weak baby face to Vader. He the reason Vader and Harley Race were scared of Sting is because they legitimately thought Sting could beat him. And the reason they would cheat sometimes is because they legitimately thought in a fair match it was possible, uh, though neither one would ever say it out loud that Sting could win a match against yeah. Vader. And I, I thought that Sting's dynamic against Vader was was really good as as the babyface. Like he 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 made Vader really good. He was he was the perfect foil for him. I, 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 love, I don't think I would have enjoyed Vader's career as much without Sting. I think you're right on that. I love Vader, but my my favorite opponent for him is still Muda. Um, I, like I love the New Japan WCW Super Show in '91 match. Um. You know, they did certain things in JCP slash WCW uh, solo, usually for like the secondary title. Um, I, I really, <laughs> any any combination of uh, that, that Sting Flair versus Muda and then Dick Slater basically doing Terry Funk cosplay is, is pretty fantastic. Um I, I love the, I love Sting working from underneath against the big giant, like Vader, but the fluidness of Muda matches when Sting was at his athletic peak and Muda was at his athletic peak, 
I enjoy those a little bit more just by a hair, but I, I but Vader's my number two in terms of his opponents. I, I re- and then flair would be number three, but uh, Muda and flair were always magic to me when they got together. Yeah, no M- Muda Muda's a really interesting uh, foil form as well. And sting had some good matches against rude as well. Rude's kind of a sleeper. Oh, yeah. Opponent. Yeah, no, Rude's the, kind so, of a sleeper. The matches against Rude, because this yeah. is Rude was really... He's a, he's a sleeper opponent for Sting, because they're both kind of body guys and similar. Yeah, like, I, I, I like Rude a lot as a foil for Sting as well. Yeah, the, everybody remembers WWF Rude a lot more than WCW Rude. But when, when he came to WCW, Rick Rude had his working boots on here and i i think he doesn't get enough credit for that and boy you saying that and even though i just mentioned the dangerous alliance thing because i always think of you know i i think i think there was a sting austin match in there that was really good at one point or at least maybe a six-man type of thing but sting rude uh, although then, then i think about uh <laughs> I think about terrible angles with Ole passing away. He, he's the guy who booked the black scorpion angle with Sting. Hey, hey is, he was also the voice of the shock. Of the shock master. Yeah, I passed those on purpose because I don't want to remember. No, those. I, those are things that I think actually add personality. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. I think they add personality to Ole. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but remember, Rude was the, uh, is it the phantom of WCW or something? He was a gift. Was was it given to Luger or to Sting? I can't remember that. I thought it was to Sting. Man. Where 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 they do so? He he was he was doing magic tricks and stuff to play mind games with Sting. The, this is the Black Scorpion. No, okay, maybe, but I, I conflate that with the uh, with the Phantom guy because 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 remember, uh, I got I got Google this vamp for me real quick. Okay. Um... Boy, what do uh, what do I say about the the Phantom or the Shockmaster? I see. I think when we think about Ole Anderson, him breaking up into laughter on the actually, you know, hold on, that whole Ole Anderson being behind the Black Scorpion angle is amazing for a guy who is all about toughness and realness, and then decided to go into Vince McMahon light type angles. Yeah, like WCW was were very bad at these Vince McMahon type angles too. Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. He, he was introduced with like a half black, half white mask with a cowboy hat. (laughs) The WCW phantom. (laughs) He defeated Tom Zink at a Halloween havoc. And I think then he went later to attack in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all three in one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed 
by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. He had Medusa as the thing. Who do you do you attack Luger or do you attack Sting? I want to say Sting. Yeah, I, I just it. But yeah, the no, that WCW that, that, Phantom. That US heavyweight championship match against Sting was really good. And and yeah. Um yeah. I, that, that right Sting like Flair, the, of course, at Clash One was great too. Yes. They they did have good matches, but like because Sting's a little bit bigger than Flair. It, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't necessarily feel like he was always the best opponent for, for Flair. See, and he wasn't having good matches, but for me, memorable was him and Rick Steiner being Eddie Gilbert's heavies in the latter stages of the UWF as part of Hot Stuff and Hyatt International. Um, <laughs> and then eventually, uh, and then eventually your boy, uh, Hollywood John Tatum and Jack Victory would leave the territory. Um, but, uh, you oh, know, that, that, that began the thing as a heel was always kind of, in, I mean, like he, he had no personality whatsoever. And, and, you know, Rick, Rick Steiner was kind of, you know, he wasn't doing the goofy dog face gremlin, but he was still a little bit goofy at the time. But, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't watch a lot of TNA sting to be honest with you. I, I got to see bound for glory in 2009. You know, TNA ended up being, I would say on balance, good for sting because it allowed him to become comfortable with the microphone in ways that he really never was prior to that. Even if he didn't love every single moment of TNA television. And that just means you have basic taste. Uh, the stuff that sting did that was good on TNA was a market improvement uh, promo-wise, from the stuff that he was doing in the latter era of WCW. He really was stunted all throughout the 90s in terms of it being a promo. Main event Mafia Sting was a lot of fun. 
right? No, he becomes a much better promo yeah. as his career advances. And then he gets to WWE. He is a nostalgia act, but he can still go. Um, he now has this ability to talk. They blew and, that so bad, though. Yeah, and they blew that bad. But, like, you I mean, saw the potential. I remember... The th- actually, the thing I remember about Sting and WWE was how hyped. I mean, somebody made a fan poster because we were thinking that it was going to be Sting versus The Undertaker at that mania. That's right. And 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 the fan art for that was the most fantastic thing. And the match against Seth Rollins wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. That that no, whole, was actually, that whole that was feud with a the, pretty good match. Yeah, but the feud with the statue was stupid as hell. It, it, but but that match with Seth couldn't be made up for with the absolute stupidity of the Triple H Sting booking, which became all about DX spiking the football on, on the NWO <laughs> and basically telling WCW to piss off one last time. Uh, it, it, it's still one of the greatest pieces of misusing a legend I can think of in memory because Vince still had to get his gigs. I, I often wonder if Triple H had had the choice, would he have would he have laid down for Sting in that match? I don't think so. You think it was still full on we were a superior brand type of thing? Uh, yeah. Do you remember he you remember he was in WCW for a very short time. I, I Mr. T- Terrorizing. Well, he also he was also Jean Paul Levesque at one point too. Yes. Like, uh, it, you know, he did put over a handful of people. Uh, Alex Wright uh, was put over by Jean Paul <laughs> Levesque. Fun fact: uh, original tag team partner with uh, with Regal. Yeah, also true. Also true. He was going to be the original Blue Blood. Um, yeah, I uh, boy, I this is why I'm so happy for this AEW run. Because he, he, he became he became literally became Terry Funk for ECW for no, AEW. Totally. Um and he was I mean he was the he was a great middle aged and crazy for them. Yeah, but and he's he, gonna be he, crazy on Sunday too, I, I think. But uh let let's get to the preview now. Nine matches. Nine. And I don't think we've even included a lot of the preview matches that, that will come probably on Friday or Saturday. But we will start the uh, Meat Madness, or whatever the hell they were going to call that. It's been canceled. It is now an all-star scramble match. Uh, Chris, Man, you're going to get rid of meat and replace it with scramble? Yeah, pretty much. Lame. Although all the meat people, participants that were named, are in this scramble match, which begs a few questions. But uh, Chris Jericho versus Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs versus Lance Archer versus Hook versus Brian Cage versus... Magnus, not Magnus, because that would be Nick Aldis, who's on SmackDown, versus Dante Martin. This will give me a chance to go into how Chris Jericho had had one of the dumbest promos on last night. It should have just been endearing, and he's a baby face, and hey, my former partner's son is coming here to wrestle, and we're going to have a great match, and we're going to have shake hands afterwards, and we might get a little bit heated in there, but we're going to be friends afterwards. Nope. Instead, hey, you know, Atlantis used to be my tag partner, and now I'm going to meet his son with violence, and oh, we're both going to cheat in this match in some way. And it, 
the ending to that match. I loved that airplane spin move that, that Atlantis Jr. or whatever he's going by, maybe it's just Atlantis was doing. But then to just put that directly into the walls of Jericho for a second, just for the towel to throw, was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs is winning this match, so I don't care otherwise. It's just Jericho being Jericho and his instincts being bad there. Uh, any thoughts on the scramble or Chris Jericho here? Jericho just continues to do whatever the hell he's going to do from week to week. It feels like every three to four weeks, his mood changes on what type of story he wants to tell and how he wants to be booked, and we just do it. I think that's AEW, about 50% of it. Between, say, Danielson, Adam Copeland, Chris Jericho, Moxley in a way, maybe FTR, it, it's deferring to these guys and saying, what do you want to do this week? I, I just, it, it's one of those things it, where... It's what do you want to do this week every week? Yeah. I, I just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, tag team match, FTR, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler taking on the Blackpool Combat Club of John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. I did watch Collision this past week. I loved that promo by Moxley and Castagnoli talking about uh, how, how, they, how Harwood and Wheeler just, just kind of like watch old wrestling, but they're not really like old wrestlers or something to that effect. Um, it was a nice little promo. Uh, I have FTR winning this. Who do you have? Um, Who are the teams again? <laughs> Harwood and Wheeler versus Moxley and Castagnoli. I don't know. Um, they could be repushing Blackpool. My th- my I'm thing gonna, is, I'm gonna say, no, especially okay. watch. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say Blackpool actually. Really, in North Carolina, you're gonna beat FTR, huh? I mean, that doesn't I, that doesn't persuade you at all. I guess, like, I mean, given how Tony likes to book, no, than FTR, but like, <laughs> w- w- would I beat FTR in North Carolina? Yeah, I'm not really that worried about Cash Wheeler's feelings at this point. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? That's that's correct. I mean, if that if this were Vince, he'd be punishing Cash and making him take the fall in North Carolina. I mean, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Wow, who are you who are you typing to? I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm looking up the card. I'm trying to like just get it. Oh, I have the card from me. I'll just tell you it. Okay. Good. Okay. Uh, Christian Cage with Kill Switch Mother Wayne and the Prodigy Nick Wayne against Daniel Garcia in a singles match for the AEW TNT Championship. I'll let you go on this one. I do not think Daniel Garcia wins here. I think Christian Cage with a bunch of gimmicks finds a way to uh, overcome Daniel Garcia. I think Adam Copeland comes out during this match. Copeland also lives in Asheville, North Carolina now. I think he, quote-unquote, accidentally spears Daniel Garcia. And I think this eventually, because I think double or nothing, I think the match is going to be FTR versus Christian Cage and Adam Copeland. So I think we're going to just start that heel turn here at, at Revolution. That's what I'm thinking. I'm looking ahead a little bit. Um, but yeah, you, th- I, you think we are edge is going to flip and join Christian again. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, look, Daniel Garcia did the promo of his life last week. Uh, he's going to look good here. I just think he's going to get, 
Well, there's gonna be a lot. There's gonna be a lot of stuff going on here. He's gonna look good, like he's gonna overcome Kill Switch, and he's gonna look good, like he's gonna overcome Nick Wayne, uh, and he's gonna appear to have Christian Cage on the ropes. But there'll be like a ref bump, and then Adam Copeland will spear him. There's gonna be a lot of overbooking in a lot of these matches. There I mean, look is. At, look at how many people are in the entourage for Christian Cage. Yes, it's Christian Cage with Kill Switch, Mother Wayne, and Nick Wayne. Yes. That's a lot of that's a lot of extra people. Also over Book Central, you can just put this alarm in here to me after a very good match, I think. Will Ospreay versus Kanosuke Takeshita in a in a battle for Don Callis's love. Will Ospreay making his official debut in AEW last night, cutting a babyface promo and then saying, "Hey, I beat three of your favorite babyfaces, and I'm a member of the Callis family." I just I. It, it was inexplicable to me. They should have just done the babyface turn here to go into the match. Uh, who do you have winning this? Uh, I Osprey wins, and then afterwards, during the hug it out section, that's when the Callis family all jumps Osprey and says that he's not Callis family material. I think Callis tries to screw Osprey, and he comes up and he overcomes it. I, that's what I think. You know, I think Callis tries to cheat on behalf of Takeshita, and then Osprey somehow wins, and then you know, and then you know, Callis pretends he wants to hug it out, and then they beat him down. But I, I'm I'm with you for the most part. Yeah, maybe it's not that he cheats on like on a, he he clearly picks his side. Like he's not like he doesn't actively cheat against Osprey, but like he knocks Takeshita's foot off the rope enough to make it clear that he's chosen a favorite. Yeah. Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson in a singles match for the Continental Crown Championship. If Danielson loses, he has to shake Eddie Kingston's hand. Brian Danielson on collision this past Saturday had the greatest deconstruction of an Eddie Kingston promo that has ever existed. He says, oh yeah, Eddie, you don't even take it seriously. You just go, oh look, there's the boom mic. There's the light. I'm out of here. I don't want to do this instead of cutting your promo. I absolutely howled at this, Chris. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there are things that this iteration of Brian Danielson does well. I just there are things it, he doesn't do well because they can't decide whether or not he's going to be a babyface or a heel, and he's right. a babyface for most of the match, and then he ends the match as a heel like he did on last night. I, I just it, it's. I find it. I don't know what to do with this Brian Danielson. I don't uh, either. I and really Eddie don't. Eddie Kingston's going to win this match, but I don't know what to do with this Brian Danielson. I think Tony should look at Brian Danielson and say, "You're going to win this match." This is one of those ones where I think Brian Danielson needs a title to help the company. I think so too. I like Eddie Kingston right up until the bell rings. Usually, I do. I think he's a great presence. Um. I would much rather, again, I'd much rather see him be a brawler than a uh, all Japan fanboy type of a thing. But I get that that's his gimmick in this company. But I think for the good of the company, Brian Danielson should be a champion in it so that he can cut promos and make belts mean things. Not that Eddie Kingston can't, but Brian Danielson is too big of a personality. And I know he's on his last run. Make as much money as you can by making him the biggest star in your company. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I that I keep going back to that. The idea that this guy isn't a feel-good nostalgia act in the perennial title picture, but rather this like weird tweener who 
like yells at you and then wrestles as a baby face and then like tells you that you suck on the microphone and like why do this with this guy like yeah why, yeah I, I don't i don't get it oh by the way circling back to the scramble match wardlow's winning that not hobbs i <laughs> what was i thinking uh sorry yeah yeah wardlow wardlow would be the pick yeah i'm like looking at this it's not gonna be jericho it's not gonna be lance archer it's not gonna be hook although that'd be a fun one uh it's not gonna be cage or magnus or dante martin or Dante Martin, so like then it's got to be Wardlow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> AEW Women's World Championship: Tony Storm with Mariah May and Luther versus Deanna Perazzo. I hope it's a good match. Ain't no way in hell Deanna's winning it. Uh, no, I I hope it's a good match because that's the only thing that would have made this program worth it. Yes. Uh, this has been a very stupid program with a dumb story. Uh, Deanna Perazzo has not looked good on the microphone in the commentary booth and even frankly she's looked fine in terms of execution in the ring but has this really done anything to add intrigue to see more diana Parazzo matches no no uh, this has been a lousy again, debut. again this has been bad marketing because she's doing yeah. a heel gimmick while being the baby face here uh and, and tony storm is doing a, a weird baby face gimmick while being the heel here like She's not Damian Sandow. She's more like Simon Gotch. <laughs> That's actually not bad. Uh, AEW International Championship, Orange Cassidy versus Roderick Strong. Boy, do I hate this undisputed kingdom. I think they're not a, they're not a main event heel stable, no matter what they're going to try with it. Um, you could replace Matt Taven and Mike Bennett with anybody. Yes. You the 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 honestly the thing that like makes this have any flavor at all is Roderick Strong because he's the friend of Adam Cole, but like Adam Cole's not this uh, all time great faction leader in my opinion. No. I don't think his faction promos are that good. Matt Taven and Mike Bennett are not an all time great anchor tag team to a faction, and and then you got Roddy here who is. It perfectly placed as the enforcer and a quality enforcer if you were building a faction, but he's um, of the members of the team, the strongest piece of the unit. Uh, this 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 faction stinks. Uh, I think I don't. Actually, I think Roddy does win this because I think Roddy's some, winning this. I think yeah, they're gonna start yeah. belting up a yep. bunch of these guys. They're gonna belt them up. Yep. Because Taven and Bennett, I think, have the Ring of Honor tag titles. Yep. And I think Wardlow's getting a title somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be the world title off of Joe, but I think he's getting a title somewhere so that they can then make these guys the centerpiece of the company when I think the Callis family are a much stronger candidate. But that's me. I think in his own company, Adam Cole is... Uh has a hard time being viewed as the third best faction leader. <laughs> but, you know, you've got Callus, you've got Christian, you have, uh, who else do we have in terms of faction leaders right now? Uh, Danielson. Danielson. Okay. Yeah, he's not even the third best faction leader in his own company. Okay. <laughs> For the AEW world championship. The greatest champion in wrestling right now, Samoa Joe versus Hangman Adam Page versus Swerve Strickland. Again, 
two things that didn't make sense to me. Number one, the Swerve Strickland promo, where where he's like, yes, you know, I've worked really hard, but don't don't forget, I also made an 18 year old bleed. <laughs> That's the baby face. Hangman did his part, although the the knee injury being worked from the match last week makes absolutely no no sense in terms of the plan kayfabe. The the whole knee injury was in case he couldn't do the match, and I understand that. But in terms of faking a knee injury in the six-man to then get to him attacking Swerve with a crutch doesn't make a lot of sense, but I actually enjoyed that part of it because I liked how AEW shot it where they weren't they weren't tipping the hand on, on Adam Page and they did the tight shot in on Swerve before he hit him with the crutch. I thought that was well done by them. And Joe is awesome on the mic and I want Joe to win. And I think now hear me out on this one. Adam Page takes a fall on purpose from Joe to keep Swerve from winning the title. Wow. I could see that. I could see that's not the story I want. Though. That would anger people. And if it were the main event, I'd say there's no way in hell you'd do that. But I don't think this is the main event. And I think you're going to have enough goodwill coming out of this, out of the sting match to be able to pull something like this. Adam page taps out to, like, like, like not even in his submission hold. He just starts tapping on the mat saying, I give up. Yes. Like that that would be oh my that would be an all time heel finish in a, in a triple threat where you see the other guy getting pinned and you look at the ref and you go I give up I give up to, I give up to Joe yeah I I give I submit to Joe I submit to Joe not even in a hold oh yeah, uh, I even not love even, that twist not even that twist not even in a hold yes. yeah I yeah I yeah I give up I submit to Joe yeah, yeah. like. That I mean that that's a that's a that's fun a level out. of petty. That is a level that's, of petty that I can get behind. In I know that's a really good heel turn predicate. Like that's a really really good. That's fresh. I want this to go a different angle, although I like this one a lot as well. Uh, the the angle I've been. I mean, I want this to be essentially a morality play of Adam Page. Like you are now trying to take shortcuts to win the title. And Swerve Strickland, you're trying to say you're a good man now, but you took a whole bunch of shortcuts to get to this point where you could start saying you're a good man. Uh, and like the Eddie Gilbert redemption story when he yeah, was sticking with Simmons. Yeah. Essentially neither one of them neither one of them are worthy of the championship in Joe's the hand of fate. Joe is so awesome. <laughs> I, like the, there's two different ways you could go with this, yes. and they're both equally good. Yeah, I, I think so. I just I just don't see them belting Swerve in a three way just yet. I think he's going to get it one on one, so he can have his moment. I'll tell you what, though, if they if they give the Adam Page, he screams, "I quit!" at the ref, uh, like, and and that's how he like loses, or that's how he costs. Swerve I will give a standing ovation to this yeah. match in my comment. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, he screams, "I quit!" to joe yeah uh and then in the main event sting and darby allen with rick flair question mark versus the young bucks of matt matthew and nicholas jackson far be it for me to say this but um two things that i got in trouble for on on the x number one i just thought they should have created some 
some new memory of Sting for this build as opposed to going back to the last Nitro with the bats in the room and then this highly convoluted and illogical plan to jump the Bucks using first Darby doing one-on-two and then Ric Flair doing the slowest, you can't even call it a a run-in, it was a shuffle-in from him to turn on the Bucks and then Sting to drop from the rafters just to get the the visual of Sting dropping from the rafters and Tony literally saying, this is a moment. I just, it, it was member berries, spectacular. This and is a moment's actually a WWE-ism. Uh, like there it are is. Just, there's, and that's what that's I was a, saying. That's a literal, that's a literal turn of phrase that they used. Because I, I remember one time Michael Cole doing a call at the end of a pay-per-view where he just screams, this is a moment. And like, if you think about it, literally everything's a moment. <laughs> Very true. But yeah. And look, I just, I, I want Sting to have a nice, full portfolio as opposed to what WWE does with their legends. They can never get out of being their legend. It, it's always those moments only. They never evolve or anything. That's all I was saying. And I just had people jumping down my throat. Uh, you know, you hate our, every, uh, whatever. I don't care. Chris, the big question here. Sting is an old school guy. Is he looking up at the lights at the end of the night to the Bucks, or is Sting going to get the undefeated streak and retire as the only undefeated wrestler in AEW history to the fanfare of most? Um, I also wanted to put in something. Oh, I forgot what it was. Damn it, I forgot what I was going to say. There was there was a point I wanted to make from that from that thing before. And I can't remember it right now. And if it comes to me, I'm just going to blurt it out. But go ahead, Chris. <laughs> I I think Sting's winning. I think Sting and Darby win. And he, the next episode of Dynamite, he comes out and tells Darby he needs to find a new tag team partner. And, like, they do that sort of story. I... I think they're beating the Bucks. I, in part because the Bucks have chosen to be WWF in this final run. So, like, the metaphor of the Vince guys beating Sting in the ah, final match. That's good. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I realize what beat, my... Go Sting's got to beat Vince in the final match. Yeah. Uh, my point was that, that that plan was so bad, it felt like Darby Allen might turn on Sting in this match because he was just getting the crap beat out of him two-on-one, and Sting never came to help him because he's up in the rafters doing that goofy stuff. No, but this is almost like a reverse of the way that they did the WWF uh, thing, you know, years ago with the NWO versus uh, DX. The Bucks are basically serving as the Vince proxies this time. Hear me out on this. Okay, so they do that. Darby picks Adam Copeland as his tag partner, and then Adam Copeland eventually delivers the tag titles to Christian that he doesn't earn. That's yeah. That's how they deliver the tag team titles. That feels like how they might do that. I don't that, know. Um, that actually no, that would make perfect sense. Sting makes a mistake. He picks. He picks another Edge. friend. Turns on Sting. Sting. Yep, another friend turns on Sting. He's like Darby because afterwards he's got to go back to the yelling promos. Darby, I have a new friend for you. 
And then he brings out Adam. Adam Copeland. And then well, remember Adam, they had they had they they had that six man with with yeah. those three. So right, so that right. makes sense too. That actually yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I I think Sting is going to ask to do the favors, but I think he's going to have to be convinced. And I I I just see him retiring undefeated. I think the metaphor. I think you're right. The metaphor slash allegory is too strong here. We need to do a makeup. For the WrestleMania thing, we're in Greensboro. I think Flair's gonna pretend to turn on Sting one last time, again, <laughs> even though we just did this stupid thing on Wednesday. Uh, I think Sting's gonna jump from something very, very high, and I hope he doesn't hurt himself too bad. I want Flair to try to turn twice in a match. <laughs> I still want the. I love the idea of Flair, Arn, and Tully trying to beat down Sting and then being so tired that they're on hands and knees on the ground afterwards. <laughs> that visual to me would pop me, but it's only me probably. Um, but yeah, I think Sting retires undefeated. I, I, I'm going to go with that on that. And for with that, that is the end of your uh, revolution uh, preview. Is there anything in WWE or NXT that you want to hit on right now? I think that Ilya Dragunov continues to be a highlight on a show that that's just, that needs highlights desperately yes. on a regular basis. Ilya is just great character work. Mellow's this heel iteration of him's not great, but this is just a you know good solid placeholder match. I think Mellow will lose in relatively short order, and whatever his story coming up next, that that will be the thing. Um, we already talked about the returning Ty Dillinger on this show. Outside of that, Luca Crucifino being presented as a baby face was baffling on this show. Yes, yes. I uh, I have no notes for that. It's just baffling. Uh, uh, and Vic, no, I actually did go back and rewatch parts of that match because at the end, Vic is going, Luca Crucifino really showed us something during this match. And I was like, <laughs> wait, he did? Okay, I'm... I've, I've missed something. All right, let's let's wind that back. And I watched it, and and basically all he showed us was getting bumped. So I don't really know what what I saw from Luca Crucifino in this match. I liked on on Raw. Um, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, commend the New Day for wearing jeans to a street fight. Yeah, thank you for that. Nice. Uh, I also just like that little turn, and it's not a turn per se. But of Liv Morgan just looking at Becky Lynch for ruining her match and going, you know, not everything's about you and walking away. It's starting kind of a, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a Drew McIntyre type of a turn, but it's, it, it adds a little depth there. It doesn't have to be a full on heel turn, but yeah, Becky is doing her dumb man shtick, which I don't enjoy. I love Becky Lynch. I don't enjoy the man for some reason. It, 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 uh, it, you know, th what's interesting about the Liv Morgan move is that it could be the setup for Becky's heel turn too, where yes. her, her stuff, when you go subtle, you give two different possible plausible inflection points off of that scene now. It could be Liv's going heel. It could also be that Becky's, you know, starting to become a dick. Like, you know, like, like, you know, that, that person that everyone thinks kind of fondly of is kind of becoming an ass. Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting dynamic because everybody's going to be a baby face against Nia because we saw Rhea, who is a right. heel, being a baby face against Nia. 
but if Rhea's winning this match at Mania, making Becky kind of the de facto heel in this, can they toe that line? The Judgment Day are just not fully believed as heels, even though they're a heel faction. I, I love it. Which is it. hilarious because Dom is the loudest boo of the building. But when like. He, when he stepped up to Gunther. Oh. <laughs> oh. You know what that moment was? I mean, did you ever watch Conan O'Brien when Triumph the Insult Comic Dog went down to the Star Wars premiere with the guy dressed as Spock? And he runs into he, he runs into the he he meets the woman who's dressed as Princess Leia, and everybody's doing their their dumb uh, lightsaber fights. And he goes, "What man will step up to be with this woman?" And this dorky guy says, "I will." That was dumb in this scene. <laughs> who's the biggest loser we could get to step to Gunther? Oh. That was so. It, it, I mean, that that visual. Gunther continues to be a highlight on this show too. Uh, the the promo on Jay Uso was some high quality Gunther material, where where he talks about feeling the title slipping out of his hands, and then somehow retaining. And he goes, "I got to admit, I'm not perfect, but I'm the closest thing there is." <laughs> well, he and uh. Drew had a good line. It's like, you're hurt. I'm not missing WrestleMania. Who am I? CM Punk? Mm, uh, like, like, like the, there's, there's some really nice character development on this show. Like, guys, guys like Drew McIntyre and Guther finding their voice with their already present ring chops makes them really formidable talents on this show. Well, not just that. It gives the card depth where you already know yeah. what, what the top of the card's going to do. They're going to run their roles. You know, Cody's do it now. Basically, has taken Kazarian's old bullet club hunter gimmick or whatever for the bloodline. And, you know, the, the top of the card is going to be the top of the card, although they need to give Bailey and EO something this week. Hopefully they will, but... The middle of the card is intriguing, especially when you have Jay and Sammy and Dom uh, all gunning for Gunter. I, I think that that's kind of an interesting four-way right there. Yeah. They decided to do it that way. So, I mean, look, this WrestleMania card is going to be solid. I, I like Logan Paul versus uh, versus Randy Orton. I think I think I think Logan Paul is gonna gonna get uh, posterized, much like Ricochet and. Uh, Matt Seidel slash Evan Bourne into an RKO by doing something very, very acrobatic and just having his head being right there for, yeah. for RKO. I think that's a perfect match. Uh, and I like the end of that, uh, of, 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 and setting him up as the big heel with the brass knuckles. I thought that was kind of a smart moving too. Now this card is, you know, two nights. I think it's going to be solid. Yeah. I, I think that that's that's a, a really good way of putting it. It's gonna it, like they've got good feuds coming up for this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they, and look, they're they're is everything great? No, it's it's not. It's not. And 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 is it a bit repetitive at times? Yes. But do they have some interesting things going on? Yes. It's kind of like a mirror image of 
Well, I guess AEW is sort of the same way. Like the top of the card's a little messy, but like when you get into the meet, when you get into the middle of uh, WWE, they've got a lot of interesting stuff going. On. I think Logan Paul and Randy Orton is a very solid mid card match. Yes. Yeah, you know if that if that's what you've got sitting in the middle of your card. And for his that, first elimination chamber, Logan Paul is pretty damn good. Yeah, and I mean, look, uh, if he had a good match with Adam Cole, I think he's going to have a good match with Randy Orton. Logan Paul and Adam Cole had a match. Didn't they back in... Uh, no, you're thinking Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee, that's right. <laughs> you know, know we're eventually going to get to Pat McAfee versus Logan Paul in a celebrity versus celebrity encounter. Uh, <laughs> I, I One thing I love during these shows is when they show the uh, rankings for everybody <laughs> on WWE uh, during the matches. Like, See, there's a way to do this where it's not stupid. Where you like What you would do is you would talk about how the ranking system on <laughs> WWE 2K24 is dynamic, just like pretty much every 2K game. Oh, okay, you're being serious with, with yeah, the, I am. With the 2K. Okay, I, 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 no, I, I actually have a legitimate I thought you were taking a shot at AEW, which is now appears to have dumped the rankings two weeks in. You know, hey, it, look, there's always next year, kid. Uh, I was talking about that. Yeah. It, okay. You're being serious. Okay. Go ahead. WWF's Sorry. or WWE's marketing for the, yeah, for the two, for their video game, the, so the corporate like, synergy. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's a bad idea in the sense that you could roll out weekly updates to the rankings. Like, uh, cause they do that already on other two games. They do that on Madden. Yeah. They do that on Madden. They do it on NBA 2k. Like the other 2k franchises have this and they've had this for like well over a decade. Like back when I was in college, I used to get like the updated rosters for like when Charlotte still had the Bobcats. So it, you know, it's a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> but like they they rolled out Tyson Chandler getting traded to the Charlotte Bobcats. Like to put a moment in time here. Uh, so like I, I WWE could do that, and then it sort of would make any of these matches sort of have some bearing on your rankings you know you at least you know advertise it and go well you know if they lose they will update this and this might have an impact on what their rankings are in the game whether it does or it doesn't it's at least just a way of pushing the product a little bit more cleanly anything else um no okay i'm out too yeah i'm out enjoy your wrestling this weekend kids uh i am gonna enjoy that greensboro card um it's going to be sad to see Sting leave. Sting is possibly the last remnant of the, man, I can't wait to get cable so I can watch other companies and see more wrestling. Because I remember hearing when, oh, yeah, Home Team Sports plays this company called UWF. They have a lot of different wrestlers on there. I was like, can't wait to see that. Uh, part of my childhood slash teen years gone. Um I hope he kills it. I really do. I'm, I'm I'm happy for him. He's had a great, great career, and he's he's made a lot, a lot of money. Uh, you can follow me on X at Crap Game Thirteen. You can just follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. You can follow Chris on Instagram only at Doctor Underscore Nove. That's D O C T O R Underscore Nove. Uh, we are part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I also do other audio for Fight Game Media. This week I'll be doing the free pregame show with the Power Bombshells. And I'll also probably be doing a post show live with Garrett Gonzalez over on Fight Game Media after 
after Revolution. But uh, every Wednesday, I do a show with Paul Fontaine called The Dynamite Show. We thoroughly deconstruct dynamite. Goes on live on YouTube about 20 minutes after the fact. Drops on your podcatchers the next day as audio. Chris has other interests that he's interested in. He'll tell you about them now. Yeah, if you want guitar lessons, you can always hit me up on the Instagram. As Jeff mentioned, it's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore N-O-V. You can also keep up with uh, stories from my life as they go along here. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you, Stinger. That's good. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.